Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gray Matter, the podcast from Greylock, where we share stories from company builders and business leaders. I'm Heather Mack, head of editorial at Greylock. Today, I'm moving aside to make room for a special broadcast of the brand new podcast, Fungible Times, which was created and hosted by Greylock investors Sarah Goa, Christine Kim, and Mike Dubow. Fungible Times covers all things Web3 and showcases a wide range of guests operating in various roles across the ecosystem. You can find Fungible Times on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple, and YouTube. And you can also follow them on Twitter at Fungible Times. We'll also be sharing some future episodes through the Gray Matter channels. In this very first episode, Sarah and Christine sit down with Devin Luton and Alice Ma. Devin was behind the Clubhouse show NYU Girls Roasting Tech Guys, and Alice ran operations for Constitution Dow, which raised more than $45 million worth of ETH in a bid to buy the U.S. Constitution. Now, Devin and Alice are working together on an interactive reality dating show powered by crypto called Mad Realities. Now, let's turn it over to Fungible Times. Welcome to Fungible Times, our podcast on all things Web3. If you have been looking to learn about crypto, NFTs, DAOs, DeFi, and the worldwide decentralized web, then you have come to the right place. Each episode, we'll have conversations with builders and founders at the forefront of this revolutionary movement. But before we begin, I want to introduce the hosts, myself, Mike, and Sarah. We are three friends and collectively lead Web3 Investing at Greylock, a venture capital firm based in Silicon Valley. I'm Christine Kim, and I know for me, it has been an insane journey diving deep into the world of Web3. So I'm excited to share all my knowledge with you and learn from the incredible guests that we bring on the show. Now for Mike and Sarah. Hi, I'm Mike. I'm one of the partners at Greylock, focused at the intersection of commerce and crypto. Uh, before Greylock, I was running growth and user acquisition functions at other e-commerce and consumer startups. I'm Sarah Gua, and I'm excited about programmable money. I've been excavating deep down in the rabbit hole, thinking about all things developer services and enabling infrastructure for Web3. Crypto has been a sucking sound for talent and creativity for the past few years, and I'm super excited to welcome two of those creative minds to our first episode, Devin Luton and Alice Ma, the co-founders of Mad Realities. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Fungible Times. I'm your host, Christine. We have Sarah here. We're super excited for this episode because we have Devin Luton and Alice Ma. Um, Devin was behind the Clubhouse show that took over the internet, NYU Girls Roasting Tech Guys, which we like to say is one of the hottest bars on the internet. It really blew up overnight and I feel like was one of the most popular shows, definitely one of the most fun shows on Clubhouse during peak pandemic. And then Alice Ma ran operations for Constitution Dow, which very famously raised $45 million worth in ETH in seven days, two bid for the Constitution, famously lost, got huge coverage. I mean, another huge historical moment for DAOs and Web3 and the internet in general. Um, but they're, and they're both here to talk about both, you know, that mo those moments on Clubhouse as well as Constitution DAO, but now they're working on a new interactive reality TV show, show powered by crypto called Mad Realities. And we're here to talk about that new show. They're all working on all exciting things. I feel like these are the two coolest girls on the internet. So Sarah and I are super excited to have you on. Um, thank you for coming on and welcome. Hey. Thank, you. thank you. Teach us how to be part of the culture. By the end of this, hopefully you feel like you are. I think you guys very much are. You definitely are. You guys are pretty cool. Yeah, Sarah and I will be furiously taking notes about how to be cool <laughs> and get internet famous. 
Love it. <laughs> Amazing. Well, to, maybe to kick things off, um, Devin and Alice, tell us a little bit about yourselves and your journey into Web3 and how you got to where you are now. Cool. Um, I can start and then Alice can go into it. I think our stories match pretty nicely together. Um, so I'm Devin. I'm from the Boston suburbs. Um, I, yeah, I grew up in the Boston suburbs. I grew up in a very entrepreneurial house. Um, in my house, my parents had met in college and at 23 started a company together and they ended up uh, bootstrapping it and working on it for 18 years together. And that was kind of like the house I grew up in. Um, everyone in my family is very entrepreneurial. Uh, and I first really had my own experience with startups when I was in high school. Um, when I was 15, my sister uh, showed me her friend's beta app. She was like working on a social app. I think it's like 2012 or 2013. Uh, and I liked it and I showed some friends and I ended up um, getting offered an internship because I had spread it to a thousand kids in the Boston area. And she was like, why are all my users 15 year olds? <laughs> uh, and so that was like the first moment where I was working on something that was a startup. I was like, well, I'm pretty good, honestly, at spreading the word about things on the internet. Uh, and so that led me to going to NYU for college. I graduated in 2020. Um, I was in Gallatin, which is the School of Individualized Study. So I was essentially creating my own major, taking classes at all of the schools at NYU, and then having like a central thesis that was my area of passion and expertise. Um, I called my concentration the power of conversation. So it was essentially what makes a good conversation between people, regardless of how well you know each other. And then how do you build that into the products we use? Uh, it was a combination of linguistics, computer science, philosophy, design. Um, I was working at a chatbot at the time in college and was really into conversational interfaces. That's actually where I ended up teaching myself how to code. Um, I had a mentor there that was very supportive and I ended up learning how to code. And then that brought me to working at a company this past year, um, post-grad called Clay, which is a low-code internal tools company. I was doing product and engineering while I was there, as well as uh, support, sales, a bit of design towards the end, did a lot of different things, early stage startup, do wear a lot of hats. And while I was there in February this past year, um, my friends and I accidentally started a popular show on Clubhouse, as you introduced um, shoot your shot, NYU girls dressing tech guys. It started entirely accidentally. Um, it was the night that, or should I go, should I keep going into this right now? Or do you want to? Yeah, we'll definitely get into it. Um, so maybe we'll table it. Maybe Alice, tell us about yourself. I, Devin, I definitely want to talk about Clubhouse and its beginnings and all the cool. highlights. Um, hey, I'm Alice. Uh, I grew up in New York State and I went to school in California at Berkeley. Um, where, you know, I discovered that nowadays on the internet, you can just build anything from scratch. And it's honestly like really awesome, the, the era of the internet we live in. Um, in school, I studied a mix of computer science, uh, political economy and Arabic. Um, so I've also always been interested in like economics, governance, society. Um, in school, I started this um, company called Archer with um, and and we, we eventually recruited 20 of our friends who were also engineering students. Um, and we built software that helped citizen journalists crowdsource um, like fact-checking as well as investigations that would contribute to breaking news. So people used our tools to you know, crowdsource investigations and they got published in major publications. Um, and we also got a medal from the Department of the Treasury. 
because they use they like using our tools um you know and that was a really eye-opening moment just like what what you can do when you can like build and ship good software and also um laser target what users need and how they use interfaces uh so that was like me going down this entrepreneurial path um always loved building things and putting them in people's hands and kind of seeing that moment when someone's like oh this is just gonna make my life 20x better um and then also worked at a startup after that um, in a mix of product engineering it was a startup called enigma um it was like and then two years ago um, left that basically pursuing this thesis of like the future of content was going to be um, totally multiplayer, very social, very gamified, um, and that the digital generation would have a totally different set of behaviors than the ones that came before. And I quit my job or like my last day of my job was literally a week before the pandemic. So that was awesome. <laughs> like life throws you curveballs and you roll with it. Um, and I'd been building and experimenting with various different social apps, um, including an audio social app that Devin mentioned. Uh, and that was, that was how we met the first night that NYU girls ever uh, popped off. I remember just seeing some activity on Twitter and I was like, oh, this is an operation who are these business ladies? Like, <laughs> I, I want to be friends. Like, I want to get to know them. And so we started hanging out, FaceTiming, um, coming up with ideas. And then back in August, that was when we started going down the crypto rabbit hole together um, and landed on the idea for Mad Realities. Okay, so rewind for a second to first night of NYU girls roasting tech guys. Um, like what happened? Were you just screwing around? What did Alice like see? What were these business ladies doing? I love the term business ladies. <laughs> for the record, for the record, the NYU girls are powerful business ladies. I just want that to be known. <laughs> um, yeah, no. So the first night, um, okay. So basically the first night that our show started, um, was the night that Elon Musk was being interviewed on the Good Time Show. And so there were a ton of new people on the app. His room was filled. The overflow room was filled. And I remember that. Like looking for content. Um, and my friends and I were literally drunk on the clubhouse hanging out. Like it was, there was no plan to do anything. Um, and we were running a room called Shoot Your Shot at the time. It was like, we had seen some TikTok boys doing a Shoot Your Shot room. And we're like, ah, that'd be funny if we did this. Um, and there- Wait, for, for our audience who is not aware, what is Shoot Your Shot? Oh, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Um, so basically my friends and I were just like screwing around, hanging out. The app crashed and there were 800 people listening to us just basically roasting people. Um, it was like, we were, it was kind of this like crazy room where we were just not thinking anything about it, but people were tweeting about us being like, who are these NYU girls roasting tech guys? Uh, and so the next night we had run the room called shoot your shot NYU girls roasting tech guys. Uh, there were 5,000 people listening to us talk. 
uh, we were running what essentially we called a bar simulation. And so uh, in our room, people in the audience would raise their hand, come up on stage and shoot their shot at someone else in the audience. So they'd be like, oh, hey, Christine, I saw you in the audience and you look great in the color purple from your Instagram. Like, uh, can I slide into your DMs? Uh, and then my friends and I would basically roast bad pitches from tech guys. Um, so that night was definitely a crazy thing where we were like, oh my God, this room, there's 5,000 people, what is happening? Like, we couldn't really believe it. But at the same time, it was like, oh shit, there's something here. And so we ended up running it for six months. Um, we had celebrity guest judges on it. Uh, we had like Cody Code, Tinks, Justin Kahn. We would have like reoccurring characters. Foster Domus once like released an um, unreleased track that he was supposed to play at like um, LIV in Miami on our show. Uh, Dip was on our show and we would do uh, giveaways for the best pitches. So one time with Logan, Paul and Blau, we gave away 0.65 Bitcoin to the best pitch. Uh, and it was, it was a crazy experience. But I think one of the things that was really interesting about what we were doing was that uh, we had created this insanely engaged community and really high value community where people were coming back every time we did the show twice a week. Um, people were creating memes and content online. And it was really hard for us to capture the value of what we were doing. I think like um, one of the reasons that we ended up deciding to stop doing it was because it really fell on us as the creators to take it into our own hands to figure out a way to own our audience. Um, we ended up working with an engineer to build out our community layer where we could capture people by phone number and email in like our private little Discord type thing called Spore. Uh, we had to figure out our own decisions or figure out our own distribution on other channels as Clubhouse's audience was changing and it wasn't necessarily aligning with the audience demographics that we had. And so, yeah, a lot of the learnings that we had from that show are very much inspiring what we're doing with Mad Realities now. Awesome. I love Tinks. She's like one of my favorite creators. I found Great. her on TikTok. For people that don't know, Tinks is like the millennial TikTok, um, just like overall, she's like, she bridges, I think millennial and Gen Z. She's so funny. Um, and I love watching her online romance with Diplo play out. That's just like a, I feel like we all as an internet ship them as a couple. Um, and also I have to say Seth, who's another investor here at Greylock <laughs> also shot, shooted his shot. Um, on the show, he had a girlfriend at the time. I think he was just trying to get some clout which I think is hilarious. He begged Sarah and I to come on the podcast to shoot a shot again, but uh, we declined. I remember one of the things that was so funny about that was that Seth was on stage and I think someone was like, oh my God, Seth Rosenberg is on stage. And then my friends were like, who is that? And that was, that was a very funny moment. Um, but we became friends with him and uh, he was written up in the Business Insider article that first night. <laughs> Yes, it's his claim to fame. I think it's such a funny moment. And I feel like, yeah, you guys were just, it was this moment during like the pandemic, everyone was on Clubhouse, everyone was listening and like Clubhouse had gotten very popular for this kind of tech auditorium style interviewing. And like that, that, that content was super educational and super fun, but it was really fun to see some of this like more lighthearted humor and um, like dating shows start to emerge on that platform too. Yeah, definitely. I definitely think we we took the position of like the counterculture content and the tech industry, particularly like there were a lot of shows happening in other parts of Clubhouse. But I think also 
you couldn't really see things outside of your network. And so our show was basically the space that people would come and hang out on stage with like a bunch of 22 year old girls when they were tired talking about what like the future of cities looks like or talking about Clubhouse. They're like, okay, yeah, I'm probably going to go be a judge on the dating show. So what do you think resonated about this? Because people were obsessed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, there's people being me, but like. I think, I mean, I think I'm a pretty self-aware person and I can recognize some of the things that were themes. In the beginning, we didn't know what it was. Like in the beginning, we were hooked on the format. We were like, okay, this thing is great because it you can come in at any time. It doesn't matter if you miss the beginning, you're able to jump right in. You could participate. There's this like emotional feeling of like, oh, maybe I get called on. Um, like, I don't want to leave because what happens if someone calls on me is kind of like actually a bar simulation and the fact that you could hang out there and potentially get hit on. Um, so that was one thing. I think, honestly, this part's like a bit weird, but very self-aware that our audience was a lot of people in tech. And I think people were really curious what goes on inside of like a group of 22 year old women's group chat. Uh, it was basically like a very intimate format where people could hear us talk and um, understand the way we think. So that part to me is funny, but it, it definitely resonated. Um, but I really do think that people were excited by the new format and it was entertaining. It was real. It wasn't like just watching a bunch of fake people on stage. Like this was very much a representation of dating. And you you basically either were like, this is like me or this is not, but everyone felt like a personal story. The last thing I think really too is the power of the notifications were like very, very important to our show. I think in some reasons, we might even be the reason some people turning them off. But um, every time <laughs> someone went up on stage, the, there was a notification sent out. Um, and so usually if you look at other types of shows in this other format you're explaining where it's just kind of a podcast, you'd have people go up in the beginning and it would boost everyone in. Um, and then throughout the show, you'd listen. And at the end, maybe some people would come up for questions. For hours, every like two minutes or so, someone else would come up. And so rather than seeing something being like, oh, John is talking about um, how to grow your Instagram account for your business. Ours was like, oh, Nikita Beer is on Shoot Your Shot and where you girls roasting tech guys. Like, what's happening? So I think there were a lot of things that were very much like social and spoke to people's feeling of like wanting to know what's going on in people's lives in like a particularly niche community that had a cult following. I could yeah. literally, I've written like 15 I, pages on this. I'm like, I could talk about this for hours. There's like this simple take on it. And then I'm sure there's like actually a very deep thesis about like what, why these things catch on fire and why they become like, in, you know, why they become huge internet moments. And I mean, there's like a power of the simp. Like I'm, it, it's so fascinating. <laughs> like what's going on with Irene now? Yeah, we've been like, talking yeah, about it. A hot Asian model that's like, NFTing herself and and it's like no it's there's there's kind of more than that it's like this really layered um really <laughs> thing which is crazy the funniest things on the internet are definitely the ones which like you just hear it and you're like oh that's that's funny on its own that's hilarious but then you like keep digging deeper you like peel back the layers and you're like oh wait this actually makes so much sense it has a lot of depth yeah um, I do want to is really important I want to throw one more theory in the hat which is that I think um, a lot of the big social networks or platforms actually started with something dating related as a niche, like Facebook was hot or not. And so I think 
I think for a lot of people who are just watching Clubhouse's rise from the side, myself included, it was like, wow, this is like, this is a networking use case. You know, it's like, it's a networking use case that's starting. And then you see the first like dating show and it catches on fire and you're like, oh yeah, like nature is healing, that kind of feeling. <laughs> nature is healing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's a common theme in so many things. I mean, so many things that we're talking about today with like the clubhouse show to the constitution piece, which I want to get into, to mad realities. And like, even just at a macro level, if you look at what's going on with Web3, people have been working on NFTs and DeFi, you know, for years, but it's in, it's so interesting to see like, what are the moments that really bring the masses in? And I would give a lot of credit to like NBA Top Shot being that moment earlier in 2021 for a lot of people. And so it's, it's simplistic, entertaining things. It's often rooted in things that um, I think you're totally right, Alice. There's a lot more complexity and depth to it. It looks entertaining. It looks like a joke. It could be dating on the surface. Um, but those are the things that in our human nature are interesting to us and, and pull, pull everyone in. Totally. Yeah, so Sarah and I really want to know about Constitution Dow as well. So let's shift gears up into that and, and talk about, you know, one, let's explain that movement for the audience, for anyone that might not know, and, and kind of how you were involved. I would love to know more about that. Um, yeah, totally. Um, I also want to just comment on that last part, too, because it's also related to how I got into the whole area of Web3 or blockchain in general, um, which is back when Archer, that was like, we had like a Bitcoin analysis tool for citizen journalists, and we also had a proof of concept using IPFS as like... Um, as like a document um, directory for human rights researchers to resist censorship. And what's really funny about IPFS is if you think about what really drove adoption of it, a lot of it's related to like storing JPEGs of apes um, on the, you know, for, for like an NFT use case. And so I think that really does speak to media, like culture driving adoption. Um, and that brings me a little bit to Constitution DAO, um, which I, got involved in completely spontaneously. It was like seven days of my life total. Um, and um, well, it, it was essentially um, started as a joke, as a group chat on the internet. And we put together um, $48 million in seven days via, um, via DAO uh, to bid on a paper copy of the constitution in this dramatic live TV showdown. And that is Constitution Dow. Okay, okay, so most of us, when we like <laughs> practical joke, for, for people who may not be as familiar, like where did the money come from? How did you recruit people? Like what happened? Yeah, um, so there were several Twitter group chats um, that, thought it was that someone was putting together, like going around DMing people being like, I'm putting together a DAO to bid on the constitution. I think start um, even like a second back about how there was one copy, like. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. There's like think, 13 or something and there's one. The, it's, I think that's a good part of the narrative. That's true. Um, I think that's, I think the, the reason that it actually ended up, we actually ended up raising all that money is because of the narrative. Um, so basically there, at the time, there were only like 11 known copies left over of the constitution from the, like the original printing. And 
this was the last one that was in private hands and it was going on auction at Sotheby's to the highest bidder, um, which, you know, that's, it's the kind of story, like when I tell my family and friends who aren't involved in Web3 either, um, yeah, there's a copy of the constitution in private hands going to the highest bidder to other private hands. They're always like, wait, what? <laughs> that's, that's allowed. Like I thought, I thought documents like that should all basically just be in public museums. Like, why is that happening? Um, and this is kind of, this is kind of what we're getting at too, with like, sometimes the funniest things that also work really well are the ones that have this like surface level meme that's hilarious. Like, it's just when you say to someone, I'm buying copy of the constitution with my friends, with my internet friends, it's funny on its own. But then you start digging a layer deeper and you start getting to questions like, okay, well, why why is it in private hands and why is it going to the highest bidder and do we actually want that like um, as a society do we want that and what can we do about that um and so for a constitution DAO, like it's this multi-layered thing like you know on one hand there's this like national treasure inspired nicholas cage meme because everyone's seen national treasure and there's something funny about like us conducting a heist almost like in but conducting a heist, intercepting it from private hands as a like degenerate group of internet friends, like that, that's a, that's like a fun thing to be a part of. Um, but then on a deeper level, I think it, it, it does kind of pull at some broader philosophical questions about like, should these kinds of public goods be in private hands? And um, how does the primitives of Web3 allow a group of people to organize in a really, really like shockingly fast way I think like the thing that's the most shocking is that all of this was end to end seven days from the, the first idea in the first person's head to the bid. Um, and there, there's several aspects of that that are interesting that we could dive into, but it, it, yeah, I, I think it was a proof point that like with these primitives, there's just unlocked a new world of potential. Yeah, and just um, for for the funnies to explain a little bit about the mechanics of this as a former contributor to Constitution DAO. Um, oh, yeah, <laughs> uh, like this was a and you should you should talk about like what happened in the marketing effort as somebody who was leading operations, but it was something that really blew up as a narrative across yeah. different social networks and group chat like, you know, if if 2019 was like the year of the meme and 2020 was the year of NFTs, I feel like 21 was the year of the group chat. Yeah. Find out about 22, but, yeah. but it was, it was people talking about this incredible narrative over the internet and saying like, you can contribute like yeah. 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 A, a crypto wallet and some Ethereum and like join the party. We're going to own the constitution. And I think that was like an incredibly, compelling idea to people who could anonymously or not be part of a movement um, but yeah. you weren't just you weren't just a contributor like what uh, or a capital contributor like how'd you get involved um yeah i i didn't um or we didn't have anyone leading operations and i was just a, one of the team members on this um i literally saw or i remember that um that lunch that that day at lunch i was having lunch with my friend tina and we had seen someone tweet about this, like, it, it was actually kind of a joke. It was like a screenshot of, oh, 
um, I'm putting a, together a bid to buy the constitution. And then the person was like, okay, wait, we need to stop all the doubt people. We need to pause and figure out what's going on. Like, is this real? Um, and me and Tina, and she's also an engineer. We're both engineers. Um, we basically pulled that up at lunch. We're like, haha, this is really funny. Like what is going on on the internet? But also this is interesting. It's like, how would you bid for some for an item in the real world and then figure out whether or not it succeeded like how would you end up trusting the that the end result was was accurate we were actually talking about like um doing a little hackathon project uh project together on like building um like a way to like have an oracle about real world events uh for like nft auctions um but then later that night i think she had posted it in in one of her group chats or started talking about it with her internet friends and then um they like pulled me in and then I was like in this group chat, like 20 other people and there was already a discord server running. Um, and, you know, I think that first night people were like, okay, there's a lot of energy here. There's something here that makes sense. Um, there's a narrative that we care about, but it was extremely unclear that it was like, our, we would have given ourselves the odds of like 1% chance of success. Um, and so that's how, that's how we got started. So I think one of the one of the interesting things if you weren't familiar with crypto and Web3 is like you could just be like, I don't understand, like crowd fundraising has existed for a while, right? You can collect money on the internet and send money on the internet prior. But um, I think one of the things that really struck me about this entire effort was that there, like, there are really interesting things that can happen when you have a community that's like open to experimentation, right? There needs to be some sort of early adopter crowd. And then there are mechanisms for, um, and like clearly the crypto world is still figuring this out, but there are mechanisms for building trust and then like allowing for, you know, governance or the ability for a group to make decisions, right? So like, you know, if um, despite your many internet friends, I feel like if Constitution Dow was just Alice or just Tina or just one person saying like, I'm going to do this, like, I think the likelihood of some of a huge number of people saying like have my 40 plus million dollars feels lower but when it feels like a social movement that is committing to like you know best efforts and a refund and there's social trust built into the contribution like it makes new things possible which is really cool totally and i think i mean from the beginning the message of it was like okay um by the constitution um, it's both funny and it makes sense. Like there's, there's, there's like a purpose or mission to this. Um, and then actually like put it in public museums, but have it governed by the people who contributed. And that would mean like our plan was basically put together a short list of museums that we were talking to at the time and that were expressing interest. Um, and then let people vote and decide where it actually went because it turns out that the existing copies of the constitution are in like major city hubs. Um, like they don't like, you know, random museums in the middle of nowhere don't get the chance to actually host them. And um, so I think that narrative around, there's like a collective process here around deciding what happens to the document, just in terms of like, even even in like the more limited sense of rotating through museums what locations um, yeah yeah locations like it really like it spoke to people on a, on a deeper level um 
and yeah, it gets it gets even more layered because there's something there's something about it that like increases the artistic value of the document. It's like, yeah, there's like now this is every the most good meme. Yeah, yeah, every good meme has ten layers deep going down, and a lot of them. To your point um, about you know NYU girls, and we will get into it with Mad Realities too. Um, there was like, there was a lot of like embedded meaning in it. And I think one thing that's interesting when um, everyone feels like they are kind of a stakeholder, um, it's like you, people would put their own spin on it. Like Constitution Dow meant different things to different people um, to some, and, and, and that was honestly fascinating because it's like this idea of like infinite stories. Um, people, it just had different meaning to everyone who participated in it. Okay, so I know Christine and I want to um, ask you about Mad Realities and like what you guys are working on together. So let's do that. Okay. <laughs> well, yes. You guys have to explain what Mad Realities is. Like, what is the concept of a dating TV show, reality TV show powered by crypto? What does that even mean? I mean, I'm sure people in the audience have watched Love Island and The Bachelor, and we all know and love these guilty pleasures, but what does it mean to be taking it to interactive? What does it mean to be powered by crypto? Tell us about everything that you're working on with this project. Yeah, so Mad Realities is actually something much bigger than the dating show itself. The dating show is called Fruit of Love. And so to give you the whole picture really of like how we're thinking about what we've learned from both of the things that we've been working on in the past, essentially Mad Realities is like, it's a decentralized media platform where at its core, we're focusing on shared experiences, co-creation and ownership at the community level. So what that really means is you could imagine a content platform like Netflix or like YouTube. So essentially crypto Netflix or crypto YouTube, but behind every show on the platform, there is a community behind it that's both co-creating and also bootstrapping distribution. So the relationship between the audience and the creator is like a lot closer and more just blurred as, as you move more towards Web3. Uh, we really think that like the thing that's going to bring the next 100 million people into crypto is going to be content. And so rather than trying to go straight into building this type of platform and this thing that doesn't really exist, we think this is supposed to happen in phases and it's supposed to be very intuitive in the way you bring it to a more mainstream market and just really like build something that people want. So we think of it more as like a web 2.5 entrance is what we want to start with. So essentially what we're building as a first phase is uh, is what we call like the first reality TV channel on the platform before the platform exists. And so we're starting with a dating show, which is called Proof of Love. That was actually a name that someone in our community came up with um, when we did our first. So we launched um, a crowd sale. We minted 172 ETH worth of passes for this first show. Uh, and then we had opened it up saying, what should we call this show? Like, we want this to be the first thing that people decide on. And so Proof of Love is our first show where people can, um, who hold our pass can vote on the cast each week, can interact with the show live as it airs, and then can have a say in what happens in the finale and who's there. Uh, but you could really imagine taking a lot of the formats of like hit reality TV shows that just work and shifting them into this new paradigm. So what does it look like if you do American Idol and you have the winner have their first song released on a music NFT platform? Or we joke about like Judge Judy for canceled people or there's so many different ideas, like really infinite, infinite ideas, infinite stories. Um, you, would but really, you would watch that? 
I feel like it'd be so funny. Web three or the crypto world needs that show. There's there's constantly drama. I have people that are like, I want to be Judy. But really, yeah, we see like this is the first way to really figure out what does it actually look like? How can we figure it out ourselves with this first use case? And then if this feels like something that's working, which we're starting to see it work, like we have a Discord server of a thousand people who are thinking about this dating show. That was also a thing we learned from the uh, the Clubhouse show. Everyone had ideas of what an interactive dating show was supposed to look like. It's like, why not put them all in a space where they can actually think about it together? Um, but so basically when we figure out what this looks like with our own content, with this first show, then we can take the reusable layers and productize them to actually create um, the tools and network and resources that other creatives need to eventually shift into a more Web3 native way of creating and distributing content. Amazing. Yeah, I think there's so many things that are exciting about taking it, making it live, allowing everyone to vote. Like there's something so powerful when we all feel like we're collectively experiencing something at the same time. Like, I mean, even with things like Wordle, which is just like taking the internet by storm. And I was explaining it to some people, like they're like, what is going on with Wordle? For so many people, it clicked when I was like, and every day everyone plays the same word. Then they're like, oh, I get why this is like so fun. Cause it's not like, I'm just going to do my crossword off to the side. It's like, we're all collectively on the internet living through this like moment and this experience that's not gonna be here forever. You have to tune in now. So like, there's just so many things for entertainment and content where that ethos I think can really play out super beautifully. And so I'm so excited to see how this all shapes up. So you guys are casting, um, for the audience that's listening, the casting begins on Valentine's day, February 14th. And then the show's gonna start rolling in March. Tell us what it's like to actually produce a show, a decentralized show, right? You're gonna have like a distributed decentralized cast and crew, like give us a glimpse behind the scenes of what the actual production is like. Yeah. Alice, do you want to start by talking about casting? Then we can also talk a little bit. I can jump in with the rest of production. Sure. Um, so the casting game is really fun because basically Valentine's Day, we open up the our casting website um, where people who hold the Genesis membership pass can vote on who they want to see on the show. And they'll be selecting three stars, um, like the first three stars who will each star in their own episode. So you can picture they're like the bachelor or bachelorette of their, their like their segment. Um, one thing that's gonna be fun about it is like everyone can swipe left and right in this like dating app like interface and watch a 15 second video of the person. Um, we've already started seeing people cast themselves on Twitter uh submitting these like really funny videos that are honestly content themselves it, it reminds me of the american idol auditions in the first episode but it's, it's like actually just distributed across the internet um and then um but then our rose holders will also be able to literally give someone one person a rose every week um it's like a super like that represents 100 votes so we're like we want tens and we want twos and threes like we want really strongly preferenced contestants to get voted in because that is entertaining um and everyone deserves a shot <laughs> um and so what's going to happen after that is the season airs um okay, i want to jump in oh you jump in okay cool one of the things that's really cool about our casting product is that anyone can nominate someone to be on the show 
And so one of the things that I think this is pulling on from the shoot your shot, like the NYU girls dressing tech guy show is the first interaction that you're going to experience with the show doesn't necessarily like you don't necessarily need to be on the show. You don't necessarily need to even watch the show, but if someone nominates you, this is your first interaction with the show. And so it's like the thing that's going to remind you about the brand. Um, but so essentially, yeah, anyone can nominate their friend to be on the show and people can upload that nomination or the ticket holders will be able to swipe in this like dating app UI on, uh, who actually makes it on, but we want this to be essentially like an internet wide challenge where people starting in New York and in the crypto community really are nominating their friends on Twitter, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, uh, in person. And it's kind of that thing where it's like should I do it if people are actually telling me to? And so that's what Alice was getting at where it's really funny. Like we haven't even launched this game yet and people are starting to campaign to be our host on Twitter. We haven't even, it's all organic. And I think that's pretty cool that once you start to feel like people are down for this thing, then people are like, yeah, I'm going to make some content. This is funny. Uh, and so we're really excited for that first thing because it's going to be so funny to watch all these people like auditioning and these uh, modern day versions of the auditions. Yes, we'll have to think about some characters to nominate for you guys. I definitely have those zany friends in my in my group. That <laughs> Everyone I'm like, has one. And if there was just, there's so many, you know, those like moments where you're like some drama is going down or some funny conversation is happening. I'm like, where is the reality TV camera crew? Because this just needs to be captured. Yeah. Um, all so we, if we all crowdsource that, it would just be so entertaining. It's really we fun. all have that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You go. We Yeah, basically, we always talk about how everyone has a friend that would be funny on a show. And what's so funny about this is it's not like, oh, this is a real reality TV show that's casting people. Like, no, we're some tech people putting on a dating show in New York. And like, you should be a part of it. It's I think the narrative is pretty strong, similar to the way we were talking about it with NYU Girls Western Tech Guys, the Constitution Dow. Like, this is a funny story that there's a dating show that you can get voted onto that you get crypto for participating in or like there's crypto involved somehow. And also the show itself, like the format, uh, which we can dive into in the rest of production too. Um, Alice was getting at this before, but essentially the show is called Proof of Love and it's gonna be six weeks long starting March 6th. Uh, and every episode except for the finale has a star um, who gets voted in by the the pass holders and then there's six contestants who are trying to essentially prove their love to the star in order to win uh winning really means either getting to go on a date with that person or they can choose to run away with a crypto prize um it's kind of like a funny commentary on the fact that a lot of dating shows are so ridiculous and are like I love this person. Like I've only known them for 24 hours, but like I see forever with them. Uh, we think that's really funny and it's kind of like a play on that. But really um, the show is supposed to, similar to the way NYU Girls worked, every episode is standalone. So if you get, if you first hear about the show on week four, it doesn't matter if you know what happened weeks one through three, you can jump in at any time. Um, and then we're going to have a very fun social element around it where we're going to have an in-person watch party in a gallery in Soho where people can come watch the episode. There's going to be a live after show where we have influencers and guest judges on who are basically like, uh, that was pretty cringy. Like, tell us about your day. How did it go? 
uh, and then the community can come hang out and like have a space to meet each other and really like get a firsthand experience of behind the scenes too. Amazing. Well, we are so excited. You heard it here, here. So casting begins February 14th, nominate yourself, nominate your friends. And the show will be dropping in March. We will definitely be tuning in and watching, chiming in on Twitter, wherever people are commenting. (laughs) Um, And I'm so excited for both of you ladies for the show and for the Mad Realities TV network that this could become, you know, Sarah and I really only invited you so we could do a docudrama of like VC selling sunset. That's our angle. (laughs) Um, yeah, I'm so excited for Wait, it would be really good. I see it. My sister was like, I want a show where I'm Oprah and we're assessing people's real time, their value in real time. And then someone gets a car. We're like, okay, we'll come up with a ton of talk show ideas. We'll come up with a ton of, you, you get your, you can be in the programming in year two. I love it. It's like, what's your dream job, Oprah? Um, you guys are going to get a sizzle reel from me and Christine about the next channel any day now. (laughs) It's going to be so funny. Seriously. Like the content that's going to be created from this thing. We laugh about it all the time. It's like the biggest meme, but this, we really think that this is actually the way that you're, it's going to make me. It it goes like 10 layers deeper, like all, all the best memes. Um, it's like surface layer one, haha, crypto dating show. And then there's like, you peel back layers and you're like, wait, this actually is the future of TV. Yes. Yeah. Amazing. Well, let's wrap things up. So we always love to wrap up our show with a super quick lightning round. We'll just ask you really quick questions um, and then we'll kind of sign off from there. So first question, actually, I'll just kind of, I thought of this one now. I'm so curious. What is your favorite web two dating show? Um, I said this in a meeting the other day and I feel like this is like not necessarily like appropriate in the way I'm going to quote it. Um, I loved next from MTV. I don't know if you guys remember this. I remember that one, yeah. (laughs) They would have these like insane introductions where it'd be like, I'm Kyle, I'm 21. I work at a grocery store, so I know my way around some melons. It was like the funniest introductions. (laughs) They were so cringy, but we honestly, it's like very much inspiration for the way we want to produce this show. Um, Yeah, mine is Love is Blind. Nice. Mine is honestly like fan fiction. My favorite is like when people write fan fiction shipping characters. You have to recommend some good ones. I haven't gotten deep into that world yet. Yeah. Um, Last lightning question is what is your favorite NFT project outside of Mad Realities? Are there, you know, projects, profile picture projects, anything in the space that you guys are fans of? Um, I love Crypto Coven. I think that's pretty um i'm really sad that i sold some of mine early they were so pretty like i would look at the, they're like barbies but it's also they have a really cool roadmap behind it i think they did a great job onboarding a bunch of women that's something that we care about a lot we pay attention to a lot of the projects in the uh the space of like women-led projects so i think they crushed it and it's sick to see how well the project has done um i liked zorbs it was a fun little experiment I, I think I just like that they got a little creative with it. Like it, it's a different color in everyone's wallet. So you can feel this attachment to your own Zorb or like it's your spirit animal or something. I love it. I love it. Dropping some alpha in our in our episode. I have a crypto coven. I haven't seen a Zorb yet, so I will check them out. I try um, not to, yeah. I try not to like, um, I try not to show projects that I'm like 
financial decisions behind them. Zorbs are kind of, they were kind of this just like fun little trinket. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's good to find the ones that are not like, and it costs thousands of dollars. Um, so those are, I think it's fun to find projects across all stages, but yeah. Thank you, Devin and Alice both for coming on. This is an awesome, super fun chat. Um, yeah. It's been great to get to know you, get to know your stories and everything that you're working on with Bad Realities. Last piece of tidbit is like, where can people follow you, drop your social media handles or, you know, where, where can people tune into Bad Realities and all that? Cool. Um, well, for starters, for Mad Realities, we are Mad Realities across most things. So Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, although we haven't all started TikTok content yet, but there will be some good stuff. Um, and we also have a mirror page where we sometimes do updates. And then myself personally, I'm Devin Lutan across everything. I'm Alice Mama 15 on Twitter. Okay. Awesome. Well, if you're listening, give them a listen or give them a follow, I should say. And um, thank you everyone for tuning into this week's episode of Fungible Times. Um, yeah, it was great to have you guys back when you're, uh, you know, web, web three media moguls. So excited about oh. it. Uh, for Mad Realities, by the way, it will launch on both our platform and then we're also going to air it on YouTube. So you'll be able to watch it on either when you're watching on our platform, there's like a, a second screen for interactivity that we'll have for ticket holders, but you can watch it live on both the YouTube Mad Realities platform and then it will exist on the internet after. Whoa, I cannot wait. So I'm definitely putting a countdown for that, booking it in my calendar. Um, yeah, awesome, until next time. <laughs> cool. Great to meet you. Thanks guys. That concludes this special broadcast of Fungible Times, featured here on the Gray Matter channel. We'll be back to our regularly scheduled Gray Matter programming next week. In the meantime, be sure to tune in to Sarah, Christine, and Mike's podcast about all things Web3 by subscribing to Fungible Times on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple, or YouTube. And be sure to follow them on Twitter, at Fungible Times. I'm Heather Mack with Gray Matter. Thanks for listening. <laughs>